Welcome to the fourth episode of Cutting Edge. I'm Landon Sturdivant, and for those of you who have been tuning in day in and day out so far, your support means so much, and hopefully these episodes continue to be engaging, enjoyable, and valuable to you. Any feedback, insights, commentary, suggestions on future episodes that you may have are greatly appreciated. And I apologize if there's an audio quality issue today. Uh, I was testing out my mic before this episode, and it sounded really staticky. I'm not sure why that is, and I hope I can get it resolved before the next one, but... If, that, if that's what you're hearing, I hope I can edit it out, but if that's what you hear in this episode, that's why that is. But today, I'm going to be talking about the New England Patriots, a team even non-football watchers are familiar with because anyone within that college 18 to 22 age range doesn't know a life before the Patriots were an elite NFL team. It's only as of about 2020 that the Patriots were even on the decline, and to go two decades without a, a legitimate rebuilding year it's just unfathomable, especially in a sport like football where the average player only lasts like three to four years. There's so much shifting and lineups and circumstances are always changing in comparison to pretty much all other sports. But dynasties like the one in Foxborough, nevertheless, are never created by luck or incident. It takes hunger. It takes consistency. It takes systems. It takes the ability to focus in on an indestructible vision and never let it go, a gift Robert Kraft always had. Robert Kraft was the CEO, chairman, and namesake of, uh, namesake of the Kraft Group, a holding company that had assets in real estate development, private equity, packaging, entertainment, and sports. The venture made Kraft billions, but he had a different mission. The businessman, born in Brookline, Massachusetts, was a diehard Patriots fan, and he had his heart set on owning the team. But even for a man as rich as Kraft, this was no easy feat. He had to first buy the Patriot Stadium out of bankruptcy because it was so outdated and old that it was considered nearly worthless. And, and this included buying the lease on the stadium. And throughout the years, he turned down multiple offers to own partial stake in the team before eventually dropping $172 million to buy the team in its entirety from James Worthwine in 1994, which was the most a team had ever sold for at the time. From here, Kraft's mission was to create a successful team. Well, obviously, but not just a team that was just good. He wanted a New England team that owned the league, that would be on top year in and year out, similar to how the San Francisco 49ers were in the 1980s. Luckily, he knew just the man to talk to. Carmen Policy was the president of the 49ers at the time, and he'd won three Super Bowls with the franchise. Kraft and his son Jonathan flew out to the Bay Area to pick Policy's brain. Kraft wanted to know everything about how this team sustained the success it did, and most importantly, they discussed a newly implemented rule, the salary cap. Essentially, the NFL up to that point was a monopoly. The teams with the biggest pockets were the ones that kept winning over and over. However, with the new rule, teams were all held to the same ceiling, and the playing field was leveled. Kraft believed that under these new terms, the Patriots would redefine football as it was known to that day. A meeting between the two occurred several years later. Kraft had not quite formed the dynasty that he'd hoped for yet. Though they made it to the Super Bowl in 1996 and made a couple playoff appearances here and there, he wanted a consistent winning culture. Policy was in a similar predicament. He was now the president and minority owner of the Cleveland Browns, a losing team that was just recently brought back into the league after being discontinued in 1995. They spoke of a coach named Bill Belichick. Belichick was the coach of the Browns at that time, when the, when the team folded, that is, accumulating a fairly poor record of 33 and 43.
Belichick, however, was Kraft's assistant on the Patriots team that went to the Super Bowl before a non-successful two-year stint as the defensive coordinator for the Jets. Despite his reputation for being a losing coach at the time, I mean, he was a losing coach at the time, Policy had high praise for Belichick. He believed he was a coach that, who really knew the intricacies of the position and the game of football. However, he still recommended that Kraft make a safer move in hiring a head coach. But everything in Kraft's gut was telling him that Belichick was the guy. His intuition had him convinced that this team needed Belichick's contribution in order to get to that next inconceivable level. He was officially hired in 2000. Under quarterback Drew Bledsoe, their slide from the previous 8-8 eight eight season continued, as they were now 5-11. and Things looked to be about the same the following year as they started off 0-1, with Bledsoe getting injured in the fourth quarter. Bledsoe's backup had to step in. A sixth-round sixth draft pick named Tom Brady finished out the game. Nevertheless, the Pats still lost, falling to 0-2. The Patriots would only lose three games with Brady as the new starter, inversing last year's record to 11-5 and, and securing a first-round bye in the AFC playoffs. That team would go on to win the Super Bowl against the heavily favored St. Louis Rams, whose offense was so powerful that it was referred to then as the greatest show on turf. Despite rallying back from being down 17-3 and tying the game with a minute and a half left, sophomore quarterback Brady drove the ball down to setup kicker Adam Vinatieri for a last-second go-ahead field goal. Everything Kraft had been building was finally coming together. They'd found their coach. They'd found their quarterback. Now it was about continuing that winning culture that this season brought into Boston. And they'd found two guys who were going to put in the work in endorsing that for years to come. The system in New England was all about winning, and Brady was at the forefront of that. He worked his way from being a sophomore JV player in high school who backed up an 0-8 team to being the leader of a Super Bowl team. I might even do a separate episode on Brady just because his story is just so, like, fairy tale like <laughs> It's just too storybook not to share. But this is a guy who will only accept a champion approach no matter what he's doing. And that mindset, that standard of performance brings the best out of everyone around him. The Patriots have never had high draft picks. They've never been in a booming cap space for these major free agency signings, but they never needed it either. Because when you have an impeccable winning culture, the talent just comes to you. In addition, Coach Belichick is known for his high value in doing it right. If you do good, he's going to let you know. But if you don't, he'll also let you know, just as bluntly, and show you what you're going to do next time to be better. And if not, there's plenty of other guys who want to play for the Patriots and do it right and win championships. Belichick and Kraft are also innately good in identifying what good coaching looks like. And through this, they've been able to build the supporting cast necessary to give their players the best experience. Mindset is good, obviously, but if the coaches don't know what they're doing, the team isn't going to go very far anyway. Beyond this, in practice... They go over even the most inordinate details on how to manage the clock. They don't waste a second on the field, even going as far as to instruct players to sprint the ball to the referees if they don't know if the ref can catch it on a toss or not. Like, you know, when the players, like, toss the ball to the ref and they don't, they don't want to even risk it not being caught because the clock keeps running. It's just, like, the fact that they're that attention, they have that much attention to detail is what makes them different. And obviously an elite offense is only as good as its offensive line. 
you'll see Brady drops back sometimes, and like with all the time that he has, he could sit down, eat a sandwich, take a nap, and throw the ball whenever he wants. This is a quintessential aspect of every successful football team, and that's why you never see Brady's name at the top of the highest-paid quarterbacks list. He's willing to sacrifice that massive paycheck that he rightfully deserves if it means that he can surround himself with the best linemen and also supporting cast at wide receivers and tight end, running back, whatever. But a team with such dynastic and long-standing success is defined by their habits and their attention to detail. And New England's culture is a premier example of that. Hopefully, even if you're not big into sports, you can take that away from this and see how that applies to everyday life as there are endless real-life parallels to the world of sports, I've realized. Thanks again for listening. Um, If you want to follow this podcast, you can hit the follow on Spotify. Um, I'm going to be at Cutting Edge IG on Instagram. That's exactly how it's spelled, Cutting Edge IG on Instagram. Um, how to follow me on Instagram, I'm Landon Sturdivant, but with an underscore, just exactly how it's spelled in the podcast artwork. That's L-A-N-D-O-N underscore Sturdivant, S-T-U-R-D-E-V-A-N-T. And on Snapchat, I'm L-T Sturdivant 21. That's L-T-S-T-U-R-D-E-V-A-N-T 21. And I'm going to link the articles that I researched from, uh, in in the making of this episode because I think those are really interesting too. So if you want to go check those out, you can. Just, Just click on the podcast description to go find those. And with all that being said, thanks again for listening, and I hope to catch you on the next one.